Good evening, Tor Babington, this afternoon, or this evening, I should say. It's a late one, um, 20 past 11. I'm a little bit late for Alistair Casey, who's in Los Angeles. How how exotic is that? How are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm hiding in my garden because it's the only safe place to be with a three-year-old at home <laughs> and a wife. And, and this, is, this is your garden, is it? This is my, my sorry, I'm, uh, my yard. Your yard. Is that what they call it, is it? Oh, if it's got grass, it's a it's a garden in my eyes. So you're telling me about running. You've 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 been taking up running. You you've have you always ran? Well, I've taken up running. I mean, I, I've always ran to uh, to support my fitness for badminton. I've always been a bit a bit of a runner. What were we talking about? You say you you go hill running yeah. um, uh, in in Scotland, and then I was saying being the, being the Scottish guy that's here, you're like what height of mountains? I mean, Ben Nevis, what four thousand feet, yeah. and. Uh, I've been a stupid Scottish guy, not, you know, like completely like uh, respectful for what the altitude can do to you. We drove once from here, 45 minutes uh, from LA at, at sea level up to Crystal Lake. So it's a 45 minute drive to 5,400 wow. feet straight up. And then, then uh, you, you could just go running around that area. Even at, even at that level, you've got about 8% less oxygen yeah. uh, on this, your, your SpO2 meter. But my buddy, Chris, who goes up there all the time, He's like, let's go running. So there's a mountain there, or Mount uh, Mount Islip, right. which is at uh, eight thousand something feet. So we we ran from Crystal Lake uh, campground area at five and a half thousand feet to the top of Mount Islip and back down oh again. This is, like, this is like six, seven years ago. So I was still playing tournaments. Thought this would be a good idea. <laughs> uh, and then as, as as we came down, then we get in the car and we go straight back down to sea level. And I was I was coaching that afternoon. And I'm coaching a 64 year old lady at like two. So how in the far afternoon. is it? You're going all that. High, uh... It took us. It, it, it's, I don't know. It was over 10 miles. Yeah, yeah. But the elevation is just exactly straight up. It's just stupid. I, mean, um, and, I don't think it's really running. I mean, everybody keeps on saying to me, and I'll say to the wife, Becky, it's not really running. I've, I mean, I'm already, I'm kind of questioning. On the way up, it's pretty much like fast hiking I, I can't run it's so steep i can't run physically running. <laughs> now you've now you've you've downgraded to fast hiking well i call it i actually call it when i leave with strava i just say i'm walking and um, because i can't be bothered with all the stats that strava comes up with i change and then i change it when i'm finished to run to a run but mostly on the way up i'm pretty much walking like the 500 i'm doing it wrong i get to the top there's about 150 meter climb pretty much straight out of the door right up and it's literally, you know, it's very, very steep. If you look at the elevation on Strava, it's like that. Um, and then, and then you get to a kind of a level, and then I jog, and then, I, and then. But yeah, I, I do love it. I actually really, it's a yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? And you've got it's nice. Is it very rural where you are? That's not city life at all, is it? Oh, well, obviously LA yeah. is, but where we go to, you're going straight into the hills. So nice. it's, it's, it's remote. I mean, and even at that, at that height, the, the funny thing about not being respectful for the altitude is you run, we, even now we like, we, we, we run for two minutes and then we're like, we're, we're out, yeah. you know, and then we're walking a bit. Yeah. But the first time I ever did it, the, the story is hilarious because I came down and this lady, I was coaching at three in the afternoon and she's like, are you, are you okay? <laughs> And I, I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I had a migraine coming on and whatever. And it's the first thing. How did you say this? I did. I literally did. She, she said, give me your car keys. 
and I'm dry. So it was my 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 girlfriend at that time, now my wife. She took me to her house in West Covina, and I, I at that point I was white or whatever, and I, and then I was in the house, massive headache. I threw up. My nose was bleeding a little bit. Straight up, true story. My my wife's like, "What did you do today?" And I was like, oh, "I did a rant in the eight thousand feet, and then went straight down to zero again, all in the space of about four hours." Um, and yeah, I was and your buddy does that all the time, does it? He well, once you start doing it regularly, yeah. your body can cope with it. Um, but um, I mean, sometimes I go up now, and we go up, we still do it, and it's um, you're okay. And then sometimes you go up, and you're just you're just completely dying. You can't do the temperature. I mean, you tell me, you tell me yesterday it's like forty degrees, right? You can't run in that, can you? Not right now. Oh, I do. I go yeah. running around the neighborhood and here in Pasadena, I'll go out and run like ten k, but six point six point two miles. What's the humidity and, uh, like, Alistair? It's not too bad uh, where I'm at, but I've, I ran last year at one point. I just I do it for stupidity. I you know you, you feel good after, but I ran one day and it was was 112, wow. which is stupid. So you're in the 40s, and then I came home and I literally stood in the garden and turned the sprinklers on because yeah, nice. I was like dying. I was like, oh. I've run in Greece before, and I I quite like it. When, you know, with running is like cycling. The br- the breeze goes. It creates a breeze, doesn't it? You know, when it's airless, and you know, it's. It, I mean, I've run in Greece. I just go out early early doors in the morning, and it can be absolutely vo- sweltering. But I quite like it. I do. I uh, yeah, I love I love getting out, isn't it? It's, um, so let's go. I'm gonna get on with the questions now, because otherwise I'm gonna be here with you all night. So I'm not going to take up your whole afternoon, I should say, for you. So, only, only taking up your evening, I can talk all day. I know, I'm, I'm quite happy as well, to be fair. I was feeling a bit, I was flagging a bit earlier. I swam for the first time. The pools have just opened here. And I, I swim a bit, and I did 90 lengths yesterday, and I haven't done, haven't swam this year, really. And I just went, and I thought, I've been doing, I'd normally do 100, twice or three times a week. And, uh, yeah, so, but I, I thought, you know, it just opened on, Friday there yesterday, and I just went yesterday last night. It was quarter past five like last night, and I, I did. I managed ninety lengths, but I was I just exhausted. Absolutely takes it out of you. Swimming's good. I, I love. Do you like? Do you, do you swim much? I guess you. No. I guess you got a pool over there. Have not you? Like that. Not like that. Not like that. I don't go swimming for cardio. Do you not? No, I love it. I actually love it. I was. I went to swimming clubs as a child, and um, yeah, it's good. It's really good exercise. I couldn't do front crawl. Until but June of last year, I couldn't do front call at all. So I've literally I've learned a whole new thing, and now I'm just yeah. Tony, I've talked to the wife about it. It's so it's really I don't know if you're like what you're like with running. It's really mathematical. My thinking on it, it's like I try and do. So I'm trying to do a hundred, right? So I, I get to ten, and I think okay, that's ten percent, and then I get fifteen, I think oh that's twenty percent, and then. 20 20 percent then up to 33 33 is a third right you're a third of the way there and then you get then you get to then you aim for 50 and that's you kind of halfway and then after 50 for some 51 you're like okay i'm past halfway now and then it's 66 is two thirds then 75 is three quarters (laughs) and that's how it works it's total all i do is swim up and down thinking about maths (laughs) that's all i do that's how i uh... it's called survival that's you just trying to talk your way it through. Really it really is. It really like fifty. Getting to fifty is a slog. I thought I could I could stop at fifty, and then I thought, oh, I'm past halfway now. And it's it's just a mecha- mechanism, isn't it? It's uh, no, I love it. I I really like swimming. It's the only thing I guess it's it, with running. You know, you still see people, and you still kind of you know you see people, and you kind of you're gonna nod and acknowledge or whatever. 
But swimming is totally on your own, right? You're totally, totally in your own space. All you've got is your own thoughts. You don't. I swam and I swam. I went swimming last year and I swam for an hour solid. And I got out of the pool and I was in the shower and it was one of my best mates was standing next to me. He said, "Yeah, hey, I've just been overtaking you for the last hour. Didn't even know it was him." So let's go on the questions. Your full name is is it Alistair Casey? Well, yeah, Alistair Thomas Mark Casey, but Alistair Good. Casey's fine. Yeah, no, Thomas Mark. Where did those names come from? Good Catholic boy in Glasgow. Really? <laughs> boy with all the. Uh... Yeah, is it a Catholic thing having middle names? Is it? Yeah, yeah. You get um. Well, well first of all, they're both saints, and uh, Thomas was given to me by my mum and dad, and then. Uh, Mark was taken when you do your confirmation around uh, primary six. So you confession, what? communion, and then confirmation. So you take an you take an extra name. Are your family very religious still? Or are you are you very uh, religious? No, um, but uh, you know we went, you know as are as are most people in Glasgow. You're either going to the Catholic school or the Protestant school. Yeah. It's funny. I'm from well, I'm from Northumberland, and it's. It's just not a thing, you know. I would never ever think of it. And that, that barely, to be fair, I don't really think of it much in Scotland. I work in Livingston, and and I deal a lot with Glasgow and that kind of thing. But I just, yeah, just it's funny, isn't it? I've, it, I think it's. Have you, have you not been to Glasgow? <laughs> I reckon I've been to Glasgow once. If you go to Glasgow more often, you'd get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, what really? Yeah, it's a... yeah. I mean, what's the old what's the old Billy Connolly joke? Are you? Are you a Catholic or a Protestant? And he goes, well, I'm a Jew. And he goes, wow, are you a Catholic Jew or a Protestant Jew? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a Billy Connolly joke. And that is, that is Glasgow for you. True, true. What age are you, Alistair? I am now 40. Well, when did you turn? What's that? When did you turn 40? In February uh, 23rd. Congratulations. How did that feel? Uh, I don't know, like uh, like twenty nine, like thirty nine. That's that's the worst year. You're like, ah, fucking hell. No. And then you turn forty, and you don't give a shit anymore. I, so I'll be expecting more of this at forty nine. I agree. I've just turned fifty in December, and I was the same. And uh, do you know when I was forty eight, forty seven, forty eight, forty nine? I I think subconsciously I was a different person because I was kind of really questioning everything I did and I'm not happy with this, I'm not happy with that, and I'm not happy with this. And I'm really kind of, I wasn't really aware of it at the time, but I was definitely crabby. And then when I turned 50, you kind of just kind of, you just have a thing, well, done now kind of thing, and you just, that's it. I think that it brings you peace. Realize, you realise at, at that point you actually didn't have any control and, you know, like, just get on with it. Yeah, you are what you, <laughs> you thought you had control unconsciously before. But you question what you've done in your life, don't you think these points in your life you think, what have I done? Why'd I do that? Why'd I do that? Don't you think? I, I, didn't, go, I didn't go through that. I just, like, I'm getting old. I don't want to get old. <laughs> you know? Are you still quite young at heart, do you think, dear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll try to be the stupidest yeah, person in the room. I, I agree. I'm in, I'm in, sale, I'm in sales and, and I went on a course and the guy said, you know, really, you want your salespeople to be like children. You want them to be excitable. You want them to be enthusiastic. You want them to be passionate, and you don't want them to be too deep thinking. Um, you just, you just, you just want them to go out and be all positive all the time, right? Uh, and so I am a little bit like that. I'm a bit, yeah. I think I frustrate a lot of people. I've got a lot of friends who are, you know, people have got really professional jobs, really serious jobs, and uh, I'm just a silly guy. I've done it for thirty years, and I'm still like a child. 
I uh, I really should grow up at some point. I should get a proper job. Get a proper job. As long as you're making your money. Well, you just do what you do, don't you? That's all I know now. At this point, at this point, you say, "Oh well, might as well." You might as well stick with it. And you're worth most in what you do all your life, isn't it? You've obviously done well for yourself with in badminton. See, have you been a professional badminton player all your life? Ah, uh, no. I mean, I've merged a lot of jobs. So you know, coming out of school and not wanting to go to uni, not because I wanted to. I would love to. People would love to tell you it was because I was going to be focused on badminton, but it wasn't. It was because I felt that if I played, uh, if I went to uni, I wouldn't be able to play badminton. But I mean, I went to work part time in a in a sports shop in the Kelvin Hall in Glasgow, and kind of just kept trundling on. Um, but then you know. Um, I always worked. I worked a lot of jobs to support trying to play badminton. Uh, I think that's then, a common thing, Alistair. I think that's common. Well, I kind of, uh, I don't know. I didn't feel it at the time, but I perfected the the, the way of doing it in a way because I ended up working in the in the pub trade in Glasgow and like working first of all as a bar bar staff around two thousand two two thousand three, and then somewhere around about two thousand four two thousand five, I was running bars. Then I owned my first bar. Come. 2006 and I was still doing that whilst I was multitasking playing and I was making enough money I could then go right you know what I can give myself the holidays because I'm in charge yeah and I started doing that but uh, it was a lot of trial and error and and then uh 2007 I I owned actually owned a big um Celtic bar uh fairly well known in Glasgow called McCules uh first year that Celtic came back and won the league so we we, it was crazy we were making so much money and I literally at that point, it was getting a bit too tough even for me. I was about 25, 26 yeah. to kind of merge the two because, you know, you're just... Uh, get busier you know, all the time. You always need to go... go and, you, know, mm-hmm. you, you can't work in a bar and not get drunk. I mean, that's the whole point of working in a yeah. bar. But, uh, I mean, just crazy stories, like people driving cars through your front door. I mean, I, I, lots of lots of crap, lots of people, lots of stories. Uh, but I literally, at the end, I, I gave myself an exit strategy and, and I bought a one-way ticket from glasgow three months before i planned to leave and I, I gave the the mortgage back to the guy the lease back to the guy and i went one-way ticket to new zealand no way and then went straight into from working and running bars to uh running a high performance badminton in auckland and in the north and did, shore of and new did zealand. you go to that did you know that was there did you i set it up i was running this last bar with my brother and yeah, I always had the. I'm, I'm always, I'm always quite good at having a kind of situational awareness, planning ahead. And I was like, we are never going to get out yes. of this if we don't just. I mean, I'm very um, decisive on certain good. things. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. even if I don't know where it's going, I make decisions. Yes. So uh, I was like, I, this is not my my whole original end goal was to again just to facilitate enough money to to be able to support my badminton. But there was uh, what happened. I got a job offer to actually. It was a bit odd. I got a job offer to basically run Bampton Oceana or read the, the continental person in charge of Bampton Oceana, which at that point was much more underdeveloped. And then Sorry, what, is friend, that? what is that, Alistair? What is Bampton Oceana? Bampton Oceana is the, the continental, like Bampton Europe, Bampton Pan Am, right. Bampton right. Oceana. Okay. They're the continent for Australia, New Zealand, all the others. I see. So I had, a, I had a colleague that offered me a uh, you know, pretty good position there and and then my friend uh, from New Zealand, uh, who was running a club, she said, "Look, don't do that. You'll never be able to play badminton. Come and be the head coach at our <laughs> club, and uh, we'll still allow you to travel and play tournaments. You, know, you can go as much as you want as long as you're still here." So I, it, it was great in the sense that 
I was do, working as the head coach there in, in North Harbour, but I was off playing like Super Series, Hong Kong Super Series, China Super Series, all wow. sorts of stuff. Living the dream. Bouncing back. What age were you then? Uh, uh, I mean, I did that 20, 27 through 30, 31, like 26 through 30. Brilliant. Uh, and then I, um, I came to America in Los Angeles when I was in, in 2011. So nearly 10 years ago now. So August. Where'd that come from? How did that move come? Yeah, again, yeah, just badminton generally worldwide. You, you know, jobs are hard to come yes. by. I mean, you, people who, you, you know, we're, we're more people than jobs. And then um, so we kind of lost quite a lot of our funding at the club. There was restructuring going on, more work for less money, you know. And it was just um, it was just the time to try and, yeah. and leave and go somewhere else. And I didn't even intend really to come to U.S. Uh, first thing I was doing actually was I left New Zealand to fly back to Scotland because I was playing in the World Championships in England right. in 2011 cool. uh, in London. And then I, I I'd stopped off in, uh, in L.A. on the way uh, and ended up playing some matches, meeting some people. And then they said, well, if you don't have an actual plan, you should, you should come back here and coach. But uh, I didn't, um, I didn't really aim plan on being here. I just knew I didn't want to go back to Scotland because I don't like going backwards. Yes, but I, 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 I will say I didn't have a master plan to come to America, so I ended up here a little reluctantly. I actually would have stayed in New Zealand. Yeah. It's just that the and I miss New Zealand. I'm a Scottish guy who's homesick for New Zealand, who's now an American citizen. Kind of, kind of odd. But I, I ended up here because I didn't want to go back to Scotland because I didn't think that was. I mean, there's things I, I know what you do. mean. What are you going to do? I know exactly. I know. I know I exactly what you mean. And end up running another nightclub, which it's, it's not something that at that point I wanted to do. I'm I'm always about pro- uh, progress. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I still go back to Scotland and run a nightclub. Yeah, I, do, I know. I know exactly what you mean. I ended up. You're obviously a very sociable guy, which is what I am, and I ended up in bars and you know working bars, and then somebody said to me, "Oh, you should, you should be. A, you should go into sales," and I, I went into sales. But I was I was the same as you. I was. I think you've got you've kind of followed that path of a lot of people that said I don't I don't know what I want to do what do, what do you love well what I love is badminton and you know how do you make how do you make a career out of it how do you make money of it and I don't know if you listen if you listen to Jim Mailer's interview he talks about you know basically his life surrounded surrounded himself around finding a way to finance being able to play badminton as much as you can and I've interviewed a lot of people that have went to uni and have said they that have chosen the university based on how much badminton they could play at university. That's why people went to Loughborough University because it's renowned for badminton. You know, you if you know, you know the, there's a the, a lorry load of exceptional English and players from all over the UK go to Loughborough because the badminton's awesome and sport generally is awesome in Loughborough. Um, so it's, it's not. It's but it's isn't it funny? Isn't it interesting that I don't know what other pursuits like that. I don't know other what other pe- sport grabs people like that where they say. Do you know what? I just love badminton. <laughs> you know, it just gives you a buzz that nothing else gives you. And, you know, how can I play as much of it as I possibly can? I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's the same in other sports, too. We're just, uh, we're just badminton people, so we, we think nothing else is better than it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. I've met a lot of different sports people. I don't know about, you know, I don't know people that, legit, that get the passion. And I, I think I was talking to somebody last the week before last and saying that, you know, 
People that play badminton don't just like badminton. People that play badminton love badminton. You either play badminton and absolutely love it, or you don't play it at all. Don't you think? Oh no, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue. Yeah. I know lots of people that play badminton that are just in it to get what they can out of the sport. I mean, I'm a guy that will play badminton any level. We're having those those jokes on the the Facebook page about West of Scotland League badminton, or whatever. I mean, I'd go back and play Churchy's badminton. I used to go back when I was playing at the highest level in, in the world and then still go back and play churches matches really? because, you know, I, I, and even right now, I mean, I, you, you want to stay fit and play at a high level, but I mean, I, I'll go play badminton with anybody. Yeah. And there's, there are some of us like that. There's a lot of us that are not like that. How competitive is it where you are? It's, it's really hard to describe people all the time wanting to know what's it like in America. It's, uh, I don't know how to, I mean, I no, no, I'm just to, generally, you know, I'm just talking about do you get, are you happy with the level of competition that you get? Yeah, uh, yeah, but I mean, I've kind of like ended up transitioning out of playing and stuff. Yes. So, I mean, I ended up going from playing at the highest level in the world to then I wouldn't say I retired. I kind of got offered a job to coach the, the best player in the country. Just don't work for anyone else. You're just going to be her personal coach oh. and go and qualify her for the Rio Olympics. Oh. So, um, I ended up, even when I was traveling with her, I, Iris Wang, um, I was um, playing tournaments with her and I was doing that to keep my sparring level up because it's it's great for her to have a, a high class Definitely. singles player, except, you know, and then um, and I ended up finding something that I was better at than playing because, you know, I, I think I'm a better coach than I am. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But uh, so I ended up kind of inadvertently. Um, ending up in that so my even now somebody was asking what do you do for training she's been out of the country but when she's here i i'll go i'll go on court and full out spar with her and train for her train with her which helps her but also i'm using it for my own fitness and it's getting harder and harder to beat her because she's Good. getting which is the idea which is the idea right yeah. uh, well that is the idea i mean if i'm doing a, if i'm doing a good job uh, she should be she should be offering me 11 points and still beating me because yeah. i'm pretty sure if i played sindhu and she said i'll give you I'll give you a living in both sets and I'll play you for $2,000. I don't know if I'd take the bet. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, uh, I, would... I wish I could have my, uh, my own line judges. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, amazing. That's, that's, that's how good, and I say that with the greatest respect for women's singles. Um, uh, and I say it with a little bit of like a, a dig at our men's singles players. Like You can get to a pretty, still a reasonably high level in men's singles in the world by rally avoidance. Yeah. You know, what do you mean by that? Women's singles, you know, uh, I always, from a coaching point of view, I always describe it as two different types of players that have their games in the wrong order, built the wrong way. There's the players who come at it like, uh, I've got all my shots and, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then I'm also going to get fit to kind of like shore up my game and to be strong and to be able to go. And then there's um, the players that come to the court that are, I'm going to have the whole foundation in there. I'm going to be able to win without smashing. I'm going to have yeah. you know the, the, that core there, and then I'm going to have all the shots and the weapons to supplement the game. So the the latter can win when they're not playing well. Yes. And I, I, I you know, and you got. I'll give you an example because we know it at all levels. You get players that play matches and they go, ah, oh, but my racket's not good, and you know, and this is not working, and they've got all sorts of reasons. Um, and the core idea is. What makes a player good is how how good is your default level. Yeah. Do you know I'll, I'll give a I'll give a mention to someone who who I first stole that off and it's Bruce Flockhart, mm. and he said to me like you know how good is your default level, and um, that that I could say that to any player any level, 
you know, everybody's good when we play good, but like you're going to win five five yes. matches in a row in a tournament. You've got to be able to struggle. And we start doing what I was doing as a player. And you're in like, I literally at one point played 14 weekends in a row. I think in 2010, I was playing club matches in Spain. I was going intercontinental to different tournaments. So you're getting off the plane in South Africa. You're number one seed. You're playing some guy who is effectively a club level player and you're wrecked yes. and you've got to have the maturity to go, right, yes. fuck, right? I'm just going to beat this yeah. guy 19 and 19. Even though you just played yesterday or the day before or the day before that or, it's, yeah. It's you, 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 you're you traveling and under all these extremes and then people go, well, you, you train so well that you get better at it. No, you're still tired. You just trained your default level so high that, I mean, I was, I would, I could play well, and then I could play crap. So if you're trying to qualify for events, it, you are the sum of your worst points. You get your ten best results. That's interesting. So if you've got like your, your your bottom five results are terrible, then your your points threshold's taken down. So you're always looking for a high average. Then I travel with Iris, and we were going at it for like three, four years. But in the Olympic qualifying year, we played more Olympic qualifying tournaments than any other. Uh, uh, player or pair in the world in that cycle she uh, played uh, 32 or 33 tournaments in 52 weeks um, it's just it's just madness i mean i it was the first time in my life after so we, then we she qualified then we had another five four months up to rio we played more tournaments and then after rio first time in my life i was like i don't want to be anywhere near a badminton court <laughs> and i've just said to you i'm a guy badminton yeah and i hate it. yeah i i i couldn't i i well I didn't hate it. I was just burnt out. Yeah. You know, I was literally, you've been living high oxygen life for like a year or two years. And then you, you don't know how to reintegrate back into normal life. But I, I love Bampton, but I was in the Bampton hall. And I was just like, oh. we are again. So I, mm. I, it's tough. How do you, um, so that, how that, do you manage life with family and stuff like that? When you've got traveling like that? Well, I wasn't, um, I wasn't married at that point, but, um, but I was with my, my uh, girlfriend who's now my wife. Yeah. And um, what made it easier is uh, my wife, Nancy, she's uh, known Iris since Iris was like five years old because uh, from the same Bampton club. So we're all, we're all, that definitely helps yes. the whole dynamic because even Iris is like, um, she's like godmother of my daughter. She came to the birth. Yeah. Like she's best friends with my wife. So we're a very that's good. close unit. It's, that's, cri that's critical. If you didn't have that, I wonder what it would be. You know, if you didn't have that relationship and it was just another player, it would be a different thing, wouldn't it? If I had a child at that point, yeah. you know, there need to be a different way of doing it. And in, and honestly, it wasn't our ideal way of trying to qualify. Iris only played that many tournaments because we were competing against another American player who's, who Iris is better than, but who was just breaking the bank. It was right. just doing what I would have done to try and qualify. You're not the better player, so you're just going to go to every single tournament and try and get some results. You have to counter that. You can't just. I, I, I said in another interview, I'd, I'd have loved it if at the start of uh, January of 2016, with four or five months left of the qualification, if we could have been going to the tournaments Irish should have been going to, like all England, Swiss, all these. But we just, it's just about the other player and eliminating her yeah. from the Olympic qualifying. So I'm like, we're, she's going to go to Peru, she's going to go to Chile. Okay, we're going to Peru, we're going to go to Chile, and we're going to push really? her down the seedings and beat her. Wow. Well, it, and I'm not meaning that even in a dick way. It was out of respect for the fact that as a player that's, that's traveled non to lots of tournaments in, a, in the same fashion since 2003, um, I, I, mean, I, I qualified for a world championships in 2007 when I was, I was not playing well. And I knew my level wasn't good, but I went out and played every tournament on the Oceana circuit, you know, 
Fiji, Tahiti, <laughs> Samoa, all these things. And I did it for two reasons. One, because that was a good way to get the points, but also because um, I also felt this, this was the way to work my way up some levels so that I could have a ranking, so I could get to a higher level, so I could then train, rather than when I was in the Scottish system around 2002, 2003, it's like sending me out funded to French International. You're getting, right. you're getting beat. I got beat in the first round of the French International uh, by um, Mark Zwiebler, oh, yeah. who then qualified and won the tournament. I mean, you're, you're, so you're, you're not getting ahead. And I, I st I'd still advocate for it right now with any player. Like you, you've got to get some confidence up and get some wins under your belt. Work your way. We, all, we say it even in Scotland, you've got to work your way through the levels before you can get to the next level. And then at the top level in Scotland, certainly when I was playing, it's like, hey, there you go. And maybe there's this attitude, well, you should be good enough to win. But none of us really were good enough to win. Yeah. So the men's game in the time period that I was playing, um, I say as a coach, I, it's not the way I would have done it. I mean, we were we were very focused on the women's side of the game as well, which is which is also fine. But you know, if you're if all your players are losing and you're not seeing progress, maybe you should change the way you're doing it. But there's an attitude towards you. You can't go and play all these obscure tournaments because that's that's ranking point hunting and cheating. And and I think I could say now. 10 years later, if you look at the world tour, you've got uh, world-class players playing all over the world because the BWF has developed the game. They've got, you know, if, if they get the, the Danish Bamden team to turn up in Fiji, that's good for the sport. Yeah, of course. So, you know, I, I, it's, it's a very... Um, I really feel for players when they lose. I really like it, especially at the moment. I mean, I just think, I mean, it's a, it's a topic that nobody really wants to talk about losing. Um, but you know, I really feel for players at the moment. There's so much. I mean, I see people playing in, staying in hotel rooms and getting tested for COVID, then getting on a flight and then getting picked up from the airport and then getting tested and then going to a hotel and getting tested. And um, who was it talking the other week on? Uh, um, Hans Vatingos was talking about he had to get a connecting flight from. He was going to. That's it. He was going to the Ukraine. Ukraine. That was it. And he was. He left Denmark, left Copenhagen, and the flight was diverted to Germany. And and there's different rules on what the the like the quarantine rules are different to coming in from Germany as it is from Copenhagen. So it was like a whole different set of things that they had to do because the flight had been diverted. And then then they eventually arrive in the hotel. They go straight to their room. They get tested. They go straight to their room. They can't leave that said room. And it's like prison. It's like prison. It's have you had much experience of that with your player? I, I, oh yeah. I mean, we're we've got all of our American players right now traveling to tournaments. They're in Guatemala today for the Pan Am individuals. We live in a, a unique circumstance right now with COVID, and and there's all of that yeah. going on. And um, it is what it is. I think, and again, I think that's what I was going to. That, that was what I was going on to say was that you know when especially like normally you go to a tournament and you fly and. You know, you get to see a place, you know, you get to go to, you know, you're going to the Ukraine, you're going to wherever, you're going to Bulgaria and you're going all around the world and seeing places and you're not even getting to see it. You know, you're not even getting the benefit of actually going to a restaurant, of going to a bar, to seeing a culture, seeing a people, seeing, oh, well, I lost, but I went for a nice walk and I saw, you know, I got to see. You're literally leaving the hotel and going back to the airport. It's just brutal, is it? 
I don't. I, I gotta. I gotta still be me though, and say I. You know, I don't want to hear people complaining about it because they're still lucky for what they do. You know, what you've just described is is the same in every other country, even if you weren't going to the tournaments. I mean, um, sure, it's tough. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dis, dis, discounting that. But um, but we also live in a. How many million are dead? How many people are out of work? Yeah, you're right. It's it's only Babton. No, the, I think the point I was trying to make was that you know people are having to make particularly large efforts to go to these tournaments to get tested. And you know, I saw um, Jordan Hart went to. I can't remember. She came over to the to the All England from Poland, and they go through all the tests. And she was she'd been doing a kind of a blog saying, "Oh, I got to the hotel, and this is the room, and la 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 la." And she got into the hall, and and then she played her first game and got knocked out and was sent home. And it's like, oh my god, you know, it's brutal, is it? Yeah, it's not, it's not different, you know. Like even without pre-COVID, I mean, you you're flying to tournaments and you're getting on to the next tournament. I mean, a lot of the players, even even when they're traveling before COVID, there's not a lot of. I mean, the professional ones are not out and going sightseeing all the time. I mean, I tell you, the moment I lose at a tournament, the last place I want to be is in that country. Is it? Because I'm more... Oh, yeah, because I'm not a tourist. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I, tried to, I tried to merge it all because I did try to tell myself all the time, no matter how hard it is, I'm very lucky to what I do, especially all the countries I've been in the world. But... Uh, um, but you also got a job to do. Countries, but if you're not doing anything in those countries, what's the point? You know, you say I get to travel to all of these countries, but actually, frankly, you're just going there, playing in a tournament and flying home again. Well, I, I, what's the point? The point is it's your job, and you're still very lucky to be managing. I mean, you still see, you still get a bit of these countries. Yeah, of these, you eat uh, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course. Find some time. You still get to go out and wander, but, you know, I'm just saying from an athlete point of view, um, the ones with their heads generally in the right place don't aren't, aren't there to sightsee. They might get a bit of culture. And I, when I travel with Iris, we always had this thing about trying to go and get coffee somewhere. Yeah. We would do something like that always, get out, go for a wander. So I'm not saying we didn't get any, but, but I'm telling you, if you lose, in, you lose in a tournament, the last place you want to be is in that country. Mm -hmm. We change flights, we're done. Because because you you got you're trying to qualify for Olympics or you're you're really serious about your your goals and your ambitions. So you're talking about losing is is tough on people, but losing is also um, very much part. It's of a good lesson. You can't accept. Yeah, I, I, no, I, to I, d I definitely totally agree with that. And and what can you explain that to me? I mean, I I don't really I don't really understand that. So. You know, you let's say you enter a tournament and then you say, okay, I'm going to go and stay in that hotel. And you say, okay, I might be staying a night or I might be staying a week. How does that work? Did you just say to a hotel, I might be there for a week or I might be there for one night? And they're okay with that. Yeah, what happens with that? Well, I mean, you, you depend. I mean, most of the time when I was traveling, you, you could check out whenever you wanted see. and just pay for, for well, how many, many nights you stayed. stayed? I mean, and, you, and you're and you're traveling on a budget, and you're you really are traveling on a tight budget. And then I, you know, there is I. We always joke. Um, I used to joke anyway. Like um, it's a good problem when you actually do better in the tournament than you planned, yeah. and then you have to change your flight and stay and find another hotel. Yeah. I mean, I, I would regularly, you know, be booking. I wouldn't be booking hotels to the end of the tournament. Yeah. You know, and if I won, I would try and get somewhere else to stay or whatever. And even when I'm traveling with Iris, who was winning tournaments. I mean, depending on the tournament, if it's a super series, we're not booking a flight to the Sunday. We're not saying we're, we're here from Tuesday to Sunday. We're, we were booking flights out of there on Friday because you've got to get to your next tournament and you've got to also uh, recover from that current tournament and get back into training. Because if you, if you really have. What does that do for your brain? 
that's what you do. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm so direct about it. What does it do for your brain? I mean, again, uh, um, th- this is this is the job. Yeah, yeah. It's not the worst job in the world, man. Yeah, I guess it it is it is what it is, and that's that is that is what that is what. But I'm no, I am genuinely all of that stuff is really interesting to me. Like thinking of. You know, I'm quite interested in the psychology of. I'm quite interested in money. I'm quite interested in the pressures of money coming to badminton and and to being on court and thinking. You know, I need to win this for the money, kind of thing. And that does that start to affect your game and all of those things. Um, I don't think players are generally playing and thinking they need to win for the money because the money's so small. Is it that they're it? Uh, they're, they're always playing for, they're playing for the ranking points? You know, no, there's no money in the sport. Nobody's making money. And top 16 are making money. Everybody else isn't, yeah. You go and look at the prize funds. Do you, you know, like Iris gets last 16 in, in Thailand, the, the Super Series 1000, I mean, two two weeks in a row. And I think she makes, I don't know, 6,000. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's last 16. So the, the, it's not even compatible. So how much do your flight cost? How much do your accommodation cost? How much does your mortgage cost if you have one at home? So, I mean, if you can get through a season, and you managed to not lose money. And I had like maybe one and a half seasons in my entire playing career where I didn't lose money in the sense of all the money I was making playing professional club matches in Spain, I just put it straight back into the sport. All the money that I'd maybe made and saved up from a particular job, I just put it all straight back into Bampton. It's terrifying for my parents. But at least I wasn't at that point living off my parents. Yeah. You were self-sufficient. Uh, but you're, you're not, I mean, this idea, I get it all the time. People are like, well, but I want to get paid and I want my sponsors to give me that. I mean, I, I'm the first person to argue that there's, that we're not funding the players the right way, that there should be more money in the sport. But I'm also the first person that gets annoyed at people that uh, are entitled and think that, you know, well, I'm not going to play if it's not going to happen because the reality is there isn't a lot of money in our sport until the, the structure changes with the BWF and they actually get the money to the players or the players argue for it. And for me, not playing badminton was never an option. I just found a way to keep going. But, you know, so I, there's both. I mean, I argue in it for both situations, but people whining or like, you know, oh, this is bad. They are right, but um, it also is what it is. And then the sport, we are still tennis in the 1960s and 70s. And what do you, and what's the sponsorship like where, where, have you, where you've been? Have you, have you had any good experience of sponsorships? Of people being sponsored or I, I, teams I actually, being sponsored or? General sponsorships, yeah. Com- Me personally? Yeah, just generally. I'm just interested in, I mean, I know I've done a little bit of looking at the Denmark and I've spoken to the, you know, the head of sponsorships for, for Danish Badminton who deals with Denisa and these things and he's explained to me how they, why they sponsor it and all that kind of stuff. And do you have any experience of any, like, you know, do you, do you, do you, do you have, how do your players go about? Do they self-fund or do they go and look for sponsorships or... And what or, or does it? Uh, what's your experience of sponsors? Sponsors, yeah, commercial. It's, it's, I, I mean, players are are doing the same thing that you just described. Jim Mailer, I said he was doing, and the same thing that I've just described. I was doing. There's, you got to hustle and find ways to make money or not lose money. Um, uh, there's not a lot of sponsorship. I, I would go as far as saying it's atrocious. I agree. Worldwide. Mm, I agree. Um, and it's because the way our sport is structured and the players um, don't realize that they have all the power if they decided to actually group together and collectively bargain. Because if the players all grouped together and said, um, we're not playing unless we get more money, their money's actually in the sport. I mean, there's a huge amount of money at the World Federation level 
that is just, in my opinion, not filtering down. Uh, as the Indonesian Open, I mean, there's one sponsor alone gave 3.1 million. I mean, BCA. I mean, there's loads of money in the sport, in my opinion. And uh, you go and look at the BWF, you can't even see a transparent breakdown of their finances. They're not publicly available. Really? I... So the players, the players need deserve more money, but at the same time, the players also need to. Well, I'm I'm in commercial sales, and I know. I mean, I, you see sponsorships going on, and kind of. I just I don't think there's particularly. I don't think there's anybody selling it very well. If I'm honest with you, I don't think there's anybody selling it to the commercial sector very well. Um, in 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 most areas, certainly not in Scotland. And you know, I, I had a conversation with Alan Martin, who's in, who's in charge of um, archery in Scotland, and you know, they have that same problem. You know, players want to get sponsored, and and just you know, badminton players are brought up. You know, you start playing at nowadays at twelve, thirteen year old, and you're on a roller coaster until you're in your mid twenties. You know what it's like. You know, you you find a love for it, you get a talent for it, and you're on a roller coaster. But nobody teaches teaches your commercials. Nobody teaches you how to. Somebody says, "Okay, well, you need to write to business and see if you can get sponsorship." Nobody teaches them how to do that. Nobody knows. I'll give you. An, I'll give you an interesting analogy. I had a conversation with a company, a major company, last week, talking about stuff, and the guy gave a, a very, I thought, actually quite an interesting analogy. In the past, you know, I've got coaches and uh, talk about uh, how much money they were making in the eighties and the nineties, and there was more money, right? And this this major company said, "You know what the difference was back then? There was no internet." So if you were in Canada, I mean, he used, he used an example, uh, Black Knight as a company. They were, they were literally paying people a lot of money because the only people you would see on a, on a domestic level would be the people you would see at tournaments. I mean, then, and then, you know, it made a lot of sense to have all these people, the influencers, actually using the rackets. But then the internet comes along, this is what the guy says, and everyone goes, oh, there's Lin Dan, and there's Lee Chong Wei. And it devalued the, the amount of money that you could get on a domestic level. Because the, the the marketing ability that you have as a domestic player has been taken away from you because of the the advent of the internet and just how much now you can view. You 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 had a you see the point that I'm yeah. making that as an individual, you know, in the UK. Because everybody maybe, sees in the, in the big the, people and say you're just a, such a small fish unless you're the you top were, sixteen, you're you're not worth putting investing you in. Your own default in your own country, a major influencer, because the only way to to see what people were using was to go to tournaments or to see the guys in the clubs. And, and those people um, using those rackets and being sponsored by Carrollton or whatever it was could uh, influence you back to the local pro shop. And now we have Amazon. And we have online sales. And we have a large amount of scope. So that I think that's a very interesting analogy about why the players themselves just don't have the marketable uh, value that they had before. I come from outside. I think Denmark is a particularly good example. I always look at Denisa. And I think, right, okay, have you ever looked at Denisa? They make, they make, they make yeah. biscuits, butter biscuits, right? They're a massive manufacturer of biscuits, right? Which is probably one of the unhealthiest things you could probably have. Is this, you know, completely, complete lack. And when I spoke to um, Jesper, who's the head of um, the sponsorships in Denmark, I asked him why. <laughs> why would they do that? Why would a biscuit company sponsor Babington? He said... Because um, the second largest producer of biscuits in the world is Asia, <laughs> and um, and we know that the Danish players go to Asia a lot, and they will be seen on TV a lot in Asia. Um, so it makes sense for them to sponsor the Danish badminton team, and that's the kind and, of thing. But I think, yeah, 
I think the other thing that we're we're escaping a little bit here is that Denmark is. Uh, if you could use other examples, I mean, Denmark has a a lot of visual um, on the players. I mean, it's a huge sport in Denmark. It's on the news. They're getting all that as well. So I mean, it, it makes a company like yeah. Danisa think you know like we're we're kind of insulated here. We're still going to have. I mean, it's I mean, it's a, it's a big sport in Denmark. It's a big sport in yeah. Denmark with a lot of a lot of TV. You don't get domestic TV in Scotland for Bamford. It's a big thing. I mean, I think it's um, for me. I think it's like um, what was, what was going to say that. I just I just think that. I mean, he he. So in fairness to him, he says that it's. He, he said it's it, they they've had struggles like this year, particularly last year, kind of thing. They have struggled. What I was going to say is it's like a chicken and an egg. You know, there's no money in Bamford because there's not enough um coverage of it, and there's not enough coverage in it because there's not enough money in it. And it goes on, and it perpetuates the problem. And I think that is that is a thing. But I think, in truth, I, I believe that there is a, a somebody. You know, somebody should be teaching people how to make money from from. You know, because it has a lot of you know common factors: very clean living people, very competitive people, very hardworking people, and you know these things are things in business, right? Businesses have that. Surely that, that also that comes from the top down. So when you have yes. you get a little controversial here, the BWF, um, should I say, gives up? Yes. We we're not getting TV. We got TV in some places, but we have basically focused. The World Federation is focused on YouTube, which is free. Yes. Right. You know, so. It's great. It's great for you and I as a viewer to be able to view these events uh, on YouTube. And of course, um, to be fair, if, if a regional uh, country has a has a TV deal as well, then the, the YouTube is blocked correct, for that tournament right. in that country. I mean, it's fair to say that. But we also, I'm just saying kind of impartially or independently, we are a sport that has tried to focus our TV on YouTube. Yeah. So there's something... Just being a dick, there's something not right about that. Yeah, I. It's great for us. I watch TV in January, uh, like uh, and great, and and the, the quality of it, I think, is great. I mean, the BWF's doing a good job with the the quality of the filming and the, the commentators. Um, but you don't see other sports focusing their their TV uh, strategy on YouTube. Yeah, and I think uh, settled for it, or maybe it's a hybrid approach, and hopefully the BWF and I don't know this are trying to really get the the tv rights in, in all the countries but of course that's the the end solution you want nbc showing badminton in the us and you want the bbc showing it in the uk so i'm sure smart people are still fighting for that i hope they are yeah. i think i might do something on that commercial side of things i really feel like i think i could add something i think i could help people um individually go to um go to market themselves for sponsorship with local you don't need to be a world-class player but you just need to you know if you if you represent somebody local to where you live for example then i just think there's there will be businesses local to those people and nobody's really teaching them how to pitch um and i think i could i could do a bit of that to be honest with you. i might try a bit of that i've already thought of some people who in scotland obviously there's a lot of people that you know they can't afford to you know they're working and they're doing x y and z just as you say really and it's uh, it... well, you have to you have to offer more. When I was, I had a very good uh, deal with Carrollton, uh, beyond what I think my level was. Other Did players you? better than me didn't have the deal mm -hmm. I had. And I, but I was more. I'm going to Carrollton, and I'm saying, right, I'm in Spain. I will sell shuttles for you to the clubs. I will make. I mean, and then I, you know, facilitate really? large, good. large shuttlecock orders. And it's just it's smart, good. you know, because they're like, okay, this guy is actually generating revenue. Good. Yeah. 
but again, I'll, I'll say to you again, maybe you're you're right as well. The pitch is that we need to educate people to think a bit more. Yeah, it's like definitely this. commercial. But the problem, Martin, is the problem, Martin, is that everybody thinks they're worth more than they actually are. You know, well, and, and right like, as a gift, just because somebody should give it to them. Yeah. They really do. That's the first thing I say to everybody. You got to offer more, and I try to I try to coach it into them and say, look, look at it this way. Everyone else has got the attitude that you're coming with and is getting it wrong. You could actually get a larger piece of the pie if you came about it in a different way, like you know the way I describe with Carrollton. So then I, I facilitate sales, and they're like, you know, I, in my mind, they're like, holy shit, right? What do you want? Boom, there you go, ten rackets. You're in New Zealand. We'll send you ten rackets. I mean, they didn't care. They, I mean, it was value to them because there's a cost benefit analysis. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's. People don't have that way of thinking. Is that also Martin? Because like we, uh, people aren't educated. But I think the thing is thing? that the, the thing that you've got, that, like I said to you, is you've got to remember is they've come from ten years old, you know, with talent and ability, and then somebody said, "God, you could be good." Ten. Think about being ten. Think about being twelve and thirteen, yeah. and somebody's, you know, you're on this roller coaster where you're getting coached and trained for five, six, seven times a week you're playing badminton. And when when did you learn? When did you learn how to have a commercial brain? You didn't. You're a badminton player. That's all you've learned. And oh. you're just incredible. They're like children, They're like children at 25 years old. The other, way, the other way to, I guess, solve that is if you've got, you're using tennis as an example, there's a lot more money in the sport. So the actual athletes themselves have a lot more money. So and they use that money to have teams of people around them that know how to do it right in ages. Yes, yes, and you yes. can maybe say the same thing you just said about Bampton about the same players playing in tennis. They've probably been playing tennis since they were 10 and they didn't learn it. But when you're Andy Murray and you're doing phenomenally well and you're making money and you're literally That's paying true. for a chef to travel around the world with you and put meals in your hand, I mean, you have the resources and the team around true. you to be able to make money off you to help you be good. Yeah, that's so uh, true. We don't have that's that. That's so true. Anyway, listen. I'll let you get on with your night. I've got all these questions. I haven't asked any of your questions, but I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to you and speak to you again if that's all right. Because we've already been on. Sure. We've been on for an hour, 40, 50 minutes. <laughs> fifty minutes. We've chatted. It's incredible. I've really enjoyed it, Alistair. Thank you. It's been really great. Let's continue. Yeah, yeah. we'll just uh, we'll come back. Yeah, we'll come yeah, back again. Maybe maybe next weekend. Are you still there? Maybe sure. next week. Next week, the same time next weekend is good for me. That's um, yeah, it's re same time next weekend. And next time, I promise to ask you some questions. But I've really enjoyed the chat anyway. I'm quite, I'm quite, I'm happy with that. I don't, I don't want to distract because I've loved that. You might make your viewers want to kill themselves if they see too much. Not at all. Well, if next time, next time, I should have got you to hang up, turn your video off, and back on again because uh, you've been on freeze. But it's fine. It's a nice image. To be fair, it's a nice image, Alistair. Is that Alistair or Ali? Can I call you Ali? I know a lot of Alistairs I call Ali. No. Really, do you not like that? Alistair's fine. Alistair's, that's good. Okay. Good. Thank you, Alistair. Have a great night. Enjoy the sun. Is it still sunny? It hasn't moved. Is it still sunny? You can see it's sunny. Can't. Can you not see the other? Are you totally frozen? Yeah, frozen yeah it's that's, okay. Uh... Should I turn your video off and on again? Turn warm. your video off and on again, will you, on Skype? Turn your camera off and on. See if it brings it back. Are we off? No, it's still there, actually. Doesn't matter. It's fine. We'll get it next time. Have a great evening. Have a Yes, because it, it's now. What time is that now? Is it four o'clock? Four o'clock, is it?
Yeah, 4.15. Right, have a great night. Take care. I'll speak soon. I'll see you next weekend. Well, it's a very interesting debate, very interesting discussion about money and badminton, um, problems around the world, and uh, yeah, finding out where he's been and what he's been up to. It's great. Anyway, same time next week. Uh, that was really good. Okay, take care, have a good evening, and speak soon.